Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. There is a skit where Gratchel Marx is in a conversation with another individual, but I need to back up just real quick because it really wasn't a conversation. The character Groucho Marx was playing was going on and on and on, talking about himself. And then all of a sudden, it was almost as if he had a moment of awareness, a moment of mindfulness, and he paused. And he realized that he had been dominating that conversation. So Groucho Marx's character looks at the person he's talking to and he says, I apology. Uh, I have been talking the whole time about myself, but enough about me. What about you? What do you think about me? When we meet someone who is all about themselves, whose focus is on themselves, whose, when they talk, it's always about themselves. I don't know about you, but when I meet someone like that, I find them quite annoying. And I have difficulty sitting and listening to them go on and on and on. But this self-centeredness that can arise even in all of our lives where we focus upon ourselves and we think we are the center of the universe, this type of self-centeredness is not limited to one individual. In fact, this self-centeredness is true of our entire species. Homo sapiens tend to be one of the most self-focused species on our earth. They have been labeled anthropomorphic, the idea being that everything focuses around the human being. When the humans look at everything around them, they see it as a means to fulfill their needs. Yes, when they look at nature, they see the beauty of things. They enjoy being out in nature. But there's also a part of human beings that looks at all of nature kind of with one eye thinking about, how could I use this to benefit my life, to make my life better? I thought about this at 4 o'clock this morning. An image went through my mind, and I thought, imagine what would happen if you, Tony, found some acreage for sale. Let's say it's 30 acres. And in the middle of the acreage, there is a small little lake. At first, once I purchased this property, I backpack in, and I camp there right by the lake and enjoy the solitude and the quietness of it all. But after doing that for a few years, I get tired of backpacking in all the time. 
So I think to myself, it would be nice if I had a path that I could maybe ride a four-wheeler on. Then I think some more and think, well, maybe I want to bring other people with me. So what if I put in a road in the middle of my property? The road is built. Now I can drive my car back to my small little haven. After a few years go by, I begin to realize that I get, I'm tired of camping. So I begin to think to myself, man, it would be really, really nice if I had a small cabin right by the lake. And because I'm used to camping, I decide, well, I'll just rough it. No electricity, no indoor plumbing, I'll just rough it. And a few years go by and I realize I miss electricity, I miss indoor plumbing. And so I have electricity ran into the property. You see where I'm going with this? All of a sudden, this acreage, which was supposed to be a small little haven in nature, has now become something that will satisfy my needs. Because human beings are so focused upon themselves, they see nature as existing for their benefit. There was a writer who said the following, and you'll notice on the screen the quote that I'm about to share with you. It says, human beings are the center of the universe from only one perspective, and that is our own. We have convinced ourselves that the earth exists for us. And because of that, it excuses a lot of our behavior. But where did this come from? Where did this originate? The sad thing that we must admit is this idea of human beings being the center and the focus of the universe actually arises within Christianity. In particular, Western Christianity. And there is one text that supports this idea. One theologian called this one of the terrible texts in the Bible. The reason he calls it a terrible text is because it allows for the possibility that human beings not only are the center of the universe, but they are to rule the universe. Listen again from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We could have a whole nother sermon just on that first part of the verse. How much longer can we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth without running out of the resources needed to sustain us? But that's for another sermon, perhaps. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. You hear that? When you take that literally, that has serious ramifications. In fact, 
this verse formed two major beliefs within Christianity that impacted how we see ourselves and how we engage our world. So, for example, when you stop and think about it, Genesis 1 and 28 tells us that we are, if you read it literally, we are to subdue the earth. You know, that word is fascinating. The New Revised Standard Version has actually done a kindness to soften it, to tamp it down. The word actually means in the original language to subdue something. It can actually mean to molest someone. It's used in the Old Testament in that way. So it's almost this sense of having complete power over. The idea of dominion means that you are the Lord, you are the master, you're the in charge, you're number one. And the world exists for your benefit. The first doctrine that comes out of this verse when you read it literally is with the doctrine of imago dei, the image of God. If you read Genesis 1 literally, and you believe in a literal six-day creation, and you believe in a literal sense that human beings are created in the image of God, that immediately sets you apart from the rest of nature. Because when you read the rest of the chapter, you'll discover that no other species is given that attribute. No other species is said to be created in the image of God. That's left to the human beings. And when you read that literally, all of a sudden you begin to realize that this is what makes a difference, a distinction between humanity and the rest of nature. But it also not only shows a difference, but it shows that human beings are like, yeah, they're up here, and everything else is down here. So this idea of being created in the image of God has been used to highlight that human beings are the ultimate. They are the apex of creation, and everything is created for their benefits. Listen to what one Christian writer says. He said, man named all the animals, thus establishing his dominance over them. God planned all of this explicitly for man's benefit and rule. No item in the physical creation had any purpose save to serve man's purpose. Hear it again. Nothing, no item in the physical creation had any purpose save to serve man's purpose. And although man's body is made of clay, he is not simply part of nature, he is made in God's image. All that fossil fuel, all that oil, it's for us. So that we can take that fossil fuel and put it in our cars, put it in our airplanes, heat our homes for one purpose, 
so that we're comfortable, so that our life is better. The impact upon nature, eh. And if you read the text literally, there's room for that. And the reason being is all you have to do is go from Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible in Revelation, and all of a sudden you hear this words, that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Think about that. If you take that literally, it really doesn't matter what you do to the earth. Because God, who is above everything, who has created everything, can intervene and someday destroy the earth and start all over. Hey, we got a pass. We got the card from Monopoly that says, get out of jail free. We can do whatever we want. John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church, says the following, all creatures were made for the benefit of human beings. John Calvin, who followed after Martin Luther, says that all things were ordained for the use of humankind. Now, there are some Christians who would say, wait a minute, Tony, you're only giving one side of this. There's the other side, and that is... To have dominion over the world means that we are stewards. That it is our job to care for the world. I've heard that. I've heard it for many, many a year. But once I begin to really think about it, it doesn't work. Because if I'm the steward of the earth, that still puts me above the rest of the earth. That means that I know what is best for the earth. I know how to care for the earth. I'm the one that makes the decision. It still puts me apart from nature, and it puts me as the center of the universe. I'm the one that gets to decide all of this. So maybe we have divergent ideas. Some Christians take Genesis 1, read it literally, and they get this idea that they rule over the earth. And maybe there's other people that have different ideas. What's the big deal? We can have different opinions. The sad thing is, the ramifications of this idea that humanity is the center of the universe, that humanity can do whatever it pleases to the world, this idea has serious ramifications for us right now. A survey took place over the last couple of years addressing the idea of the environment. One of the questions that was asked of individuals was, do you believe it is immoral to drive a car that gets poor gas mileage. Now think about that in your own mind. Is it immoral to drive a gas guzzler? For some individuals, in fact, the majority of individuals, the answer is no. 
What's interesting is in this survey, they divided individuals in their responses into two categories, the religious affiliated and the religious unaffiliated. There were more individuals who were in the religious unaffiliated who said it was immoral than the religious affiliated. The non-religious are more likely to say, no, we shouldn't be doing this. Whereas the religious affiliated say, nah, it's not immoral. Well, again, you have to decide the answer for that, but here's something to think about. If you don't believe it's immoral, then why change it? Why not allow it to continue to exist? But if you do believe that it is immoral, if you do believe that it is wrong, then you are compelled to do something about it. It will influence who you vote for politically. It will impact the kind of car you drive. Perhaps it will impact you deciding to encourage politicians to make engines that perhaps at a minimum get 30, 40 miles a gallon versus 20 or 15. In this same survey, the question was asked, do you believe that by making policies to protect the environment that it will take away your religious, I mean, your, take away your personal freedoms? Half of the respondents said yes. Do you see it? What's more important? Our planet, or Earth, or my freedoms. And please understand that the root of all of this arises out of Christianity. It arises out of reading Genesis 1 from a literal perspective. And again, there's many people that say, look, Tony, that's up to each individual. Yes, you are correct. It is up to every individual. But those choices to read the text in that way have ramifications upon all of us. One theologian said that the only way that we are going to get Christianity on the side of the environment is by having a new way of reading the Bible and a new way of looking at God. You see, if you don't read Genesis 1 as literal, if instead you read Genesis 1 as a myth, that tells us a lot about the human beings and how they perceived their world, God, their beginnings, the origins. All of a sudden, how they read it needs to be understood in where we are today in the 21st century, 2,000 years later. But not only is it a new way of looking at the Bible, but it's also a new way of looking at God. For those individuals who see God as somewhere up there and God comes down and, and moves things around and 
God speaks to some human beings, not others. God engages in his control of the world. There's really good support for the idea, if you see God that way, that God will one day destroy the earth. Now, it's only not in Revelation, but it's also in Isaiah. Well, what would happen if we saw God a little differently? Instead of seeing God somewhere out there, what if we saw God as being one with all of creation? This isn't my idea. I didn't come up with this. People a lot smarter than me came up with this idea. And that idea is that God is the force of life itself. Paul Tillich called God the ground of all being. Everything that exists, everything that has a life force in it, that is God. There is a oneness between God and humanity and all of the world. They're all one. It's like this large web that all are interconnected with each other. And when you see it that way, it affects how you see not only other human beings, but it affects how you see the rest of the world. And again, this has serious ramifications. So I'm going to step on some people's toes right now. I'm not going to step on my own because I live in an apartment building. And the way I'm going to step on some, perhaps, some people's toes is by talking about something that we can do right now. Something that each and every one of us can do individually and maybe even collectively. We're running out of water. More and more people are moving in to the desert, to Phoenix. And instead of having a more abundance of water to keep up with this growth, we're actually experiencing a significant drought. So there's something that you and I can do right now. We can conserve water. And one of the ways that we can conserve water is go to zero scape um, words to my mind zero landscaping I like someone may say my green lawn don't take that away from me we've got green lawn right out here Is it worth the water? 
Is it what I want, what we want, over what is best for the world? We have to think about these things. We have to consider these things. There's far-reaching implications from how you see God, how you see the Bible, and how you see humanity and our planet. That is significant. Sometimes I'm amazed in Christianity where it's kind of like this laissez-faire, you can believe whatever you want. That's your belief, these are my beliefs. But folks, what we believe impacts not only our lives, but it's impacting the lives of other people. So my question for you today, is your view of God eco-friendly? Does your view of God inspire you to preserve our planet because it's the only one we've got? Does your view of God cause you to think a little bit less of what you want and what you like and to begin to think about the next generation or two? When I became your minister, one of the things I told you is my job is to expose, not impose. I will not tell you what to believe about God. I will not impose my ideas of God upon you. But I have a responsibility to this office to challenge you to challenge you to think about your idea of God and what it, its impact has, not only in your life, not only in the life of the other human beings, but upon our planet. So I encourage you this week to do two things. Number one, Start thinking about how you can conserve water. So all those people from coming from California, they can have water. I know some of you don't want them here. But if they come, they do need water. And number two, think about God. Think of, be intentional to think about what you believe about God. And then ask yourself this question. Does my view of God make for a better world? Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society